Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's June 8th, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast there is. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. I think I did that two weeks in a row, the intro. Yeah, it's almost like The Simpsons. People are tuning in to see what's going to be on the chalkboard. <laughs> Uh, I'm a rerun, so that's the same thing you've seen before. I'm in a rut. Now, you're spoiling the World Series for me here. I hope you know that. Yeah, you were going to watch it all on ESPN uh, in November, right? Yeah, and then we're going to put it in the magazine three months late. <laughs> what I think is funny is uh, my phone has been blowing up. I'm sure yours has, too. Like, hey, when are you guys coming to Vegas? Like, you know, we always come to Vegas for the World Series. Yeah. And I'm like, no, nothing really for us to do there. We can... Kind of watch it from afar, so <laughs> every good luck out there playing. So appreciate it, but we'll be we'll be happy here, uh, sweating in Florida rather than sweating in Nevada this year. Yeah, I love just uh, you know I I have to compile it for the magazine anyway, so I'll I'll find out everything I need to know from that. I don't need to go out there and sweat my butt off. <laughs> Although I used to go every year and see the fireworks, like you know, because I'd always be there around then because yeah, be the I was part of the main. Yeah. yeah. But, I guess that's uh, a residual pain is we used to have to go over the 4th of July all the time. It's my favorite holiday, and I don't – it's not very American at Vegas. I like the I like the hometown feel of here. Yeah. But so now I'm just getting – I'm getting used to it now. I'm getting back at it. I'm like, no, I'm not going to go out there anymore even though I don't want to be there July 4th. But. And aren't you like annoyed by the people who have never been there who are like planning the trip and want to go to Ve- – and they're begging you to go with them. They're like, hey, we're going to go to Vegas, baby. I'm like – been there 10 times um, i'm over it they're like what no way and i'm like dude seriously you know and they and they go for like a week or something and i'm like I, I i can't last more than like three or four days there without wanting to pull my hair out but people love it they love it of course you know i don't drink and stuff so it's not my yeah yeah, tea, yeah. So. <laughs> no i don't mind going i just it's nice to take a break so i don't feel like i need to go but but right it's good that lots of other people are out there, though, because it looks like the series is off to a good start. So, uh, as we always do every week on the show during the series, we run down the highlights of what's happened in the past week. So, uh, let's kick it off with uh, 2009 main event champ Joe Cotta. One event number three. It's a $3,000 No Limit Hold'em shootout. It's his third bracelet. And finishing third was 2015 main event champ Joe McKeon. That's a all-star lineup there. Yeah, really. Uh, Nick Petronglio, uh, one event number five, the first high roller event of the year. It's a $100,000 buy-in, no limit hold'em, uh, beating Elio Fox heads up. Fox had one event number two, so he was off to a good start. Make sure you listen to the show again and read that name and listen to how you pronounced it. <laughs> Petrangelo? Yeah, that's a lot better than what you yeah. said. Hey. hey, you know, if people wanted me to pronounce their names correctly, they would have four-letter names like mine. So, you know, <laughs> I, I can't be held responsible to the you show-offs that have all these crazy names. So. <laughs> 
Paul Volpe with event number nine. That's a $10,000 Omaha 8 event. It was his third cash in the first nine events. So he's off to it start, too. So if you have him in your fantasy team, you're probably doing well. Yeah. Uh, French journalist William Tuper Raymond uh, won event number 10, and that's a $365 online No Limit Hold'em event. That's the largest online bracelet event in history with 2,972 entries. So that's good news for online poker. Yeah. And the public can nominate Poker Hall of Fame nominees for the next month or so at WSOP.com. Nominees need to be 40 years old, played in a recognized competition and a high-stakes game, or not a player significantly contributed to the growth and success of poker. The nominating committee will call the nominees to a field of 10 and the existing members and a media panel, not including any up, of course, will decide which two are inducted this year. Uh, let me ask you, what if you're 40 years old, You've played in a recognized competition, not a high-stakes game, um, and you're not a really good player, but you significantly contributed to the growth and success of poker. Because <laughs> I, I think I, a couple of guys that are that fit that criteria. So what do yeah, you think? I, I, I do think we qualify, so yes. All um, right. We're going to nominate each other? Probably not going to make it through the uh, nominating committee since we're not on the media panel. But uh, I like how you think, though. All right. Well, that, I mean, if, if they're not going to let us be part of the committee or the media panel, or whatever, then then we're going to have to get in another way, just by being very annoying. <laughs> and and we say this, but doesn't it seem like we talk about this like every three shows? Uh, of course we, yes, we're we're very bitter about this. But <laughs> <laughs> the years hey, are flying by. One less meeting we have to go to. How's that? Yeah, you know what? That's good. Forget it. I don't want to be on the panel. And <laughs> of crap my life. Oh, uh, but the other thing that was interesting is they added played in a high stakes game. I think they added that this year. I thought it was always uh, played at a high level, so it was a little yeah, you know, more nebulous where you could you know include anybody. You, you could make your own determination of what a high level meant, um, which which I always took to mean. You were just a successful player, not that you had to be a successful player in Doyle's room or Bobby's room, you know, or I mean Bobby's room. Um, so that's interesting because I, you know, I don't think it should be limited to people that play nosebleed stakes, right? I, right. I think. I mean, what about a good? I mean, well, think about a Chris Moneymaker. You know, I, I'm not suggesting him for it, but oh my, he's made a big contribution to the game, and but as a player. Um, and I know he's played some big games, but he's not normally in the high stakes games. I don't know. Exactly. I mean, you don't see him on uh, the high roll or high stakes stuff. You only see him. And we even talked about that last show that he, he likes to play in the lower, smaller events. Um, he feels more comfortable there and enjoys it more. And But clearly, the guy's done more for poker than probably half the Hall of Fame easily, if not all the Hall of Fame, really. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. All right. All right. I'll not make it. That's not ours. I want to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then the uh, the Colossus, which is the $565 multi-flight tournament that took the World Series by storm four years ago with a live tournament record of 22,374 entries, continues to see a deep drop-off in entries, with this year's event drawing 13,071. I was going to say just, but that's kind of funny to say just. Yeah, people, right? <laughs> um, And that's down 41% from the first year. Uh, Jeff Walsh from Poker Fuse wrote a column uh, with his fear- theories, including... Competition from other poker venues, bad scheduling, and novelty wear off. What do we say? Well, here's the deal. It, it, it sounds like what he said makes sense, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, 
we talked about this as being pokers alive and well in our pub column because of all the venues able to have competitions that are actually succeeding elsewhere at the exact same time that people just you know they just have more options it doesn't necessarily mean that the colossus is a colossal failure or anything like that 13,000 <laughs> entrants i mean give me a break i mean that's still huge just because it's down from the the peak the colossus is not the standard we measure things by you know, it's just, especially that $565 uh, price tag, that's what a lot of the tournaments are around Vegas. Yeah. So you're fighting for some, I mean, you know, the first time it was, like he said, sort of a novelty event, you know, we're going to try to have five-figure event here with over 10,000 people, and then, of course, they got 22. And But, yeah, very rarely does anything grow, continue to go up. I mean, it would be... That would be more shocking to us if twenty five, thirty five thousand people played in this event or something like that. That would be like, wow, now we gotta figure out what's going on. This just makes sense the way it's going. It's the way everything goes. So I, I have no this doesn't alarm me at all. Right, right. And I should clarify that uh, Jeff Walsh was this wasn't a hater column. Right. Um he's pointing at his theories and he said uh, you know, the Colossus is still a great event and people should play it. But it, it is an interesting look at, at how far it's dropped off. Um but I you know, I thought his points were right. I mean uh, one uh, it's gotta be the most difficult tournament to schedule um anywhere, the World Series of Poker, right? You've got what, seventy some events this year. And you got to figure out the right time to put them, and uh, you know, making sure the recreational players, the events that they're going to play, are on days that they can be there. So it's very complicated. So uh, you know, it's hard to criticize them for putting it where they did. And um, though he did mention that you know it's right after uh, or on top of uh, the online tournament, which is the same, roughly the same price point, a little bit less. Um, so a lot of the Colossus players would also play that, and then it was right um, during the Giant too, which was another 365 buy-in that, that people were probably going to play. So maybe they should have spaced one of those other ones out. So maybe that's a little bit, but that's it. Uh, but you can't indeed they can't schedule against the competition. They, I mean, they know Venetian, Aria, Nugget, Binions, Orleans, all these people are going to have tournaments right this summer. They know that, but they don't know which events are going to be what days. So. Um, so that that's a tough thing to, to to pin him on as well too. But I think the biggest thing is what he said is a novelty wear off. You know, you know this was an awesome thing when this came out. People were always talking about, oh my god, I can't believe this five hundred sixty five dollar tournament. I got to get in where I can win you know a million dollars. Yeah. And then once you play it, and then you're like, all right, well, I, it's off the bucket list now. You know, so you know you don't have to go back and do it again. Um, so I think that makes sense. I mean, one thing you didn't mention that that people were talking about the last couple of years is that they don't think it's a good tournament. Um, because it's a shove fest. It's 565 bucks, and the, the the structure isn't as good, and some people are going to be firing 10, 20, 30 bullets. So for the little guys like us, we're already outgunned. Um, but all that stuff, I, you can't really change that. So um, I think it's still an interesting tournament. It just, you know, like anything else, the novelty's worn off. So, But, but 13,000, I mean, tell me, tell me a poker room manager anywhere in the country that wouldn't want to have 13,000 entrants yeah. <laughs> in the tournament. So. Still impressive. And and like you said, too, you know, some people can fire off 10 bullets, other people can't, so they experience it, and then they're like, yeah, I just can't compete with somebody who's willing to shove on a flush draw, you know, for all their, their buy-in, because they're going to have nine more buy-ins in their pocket, and this is the 
one chance I'll get at trying to play for a bracelet because I don't make a lot of money and, you know, I want a satellite to get in. Or, you know what I mean? So some people may play and get frustrated. Some people, like you said, may play it and just be like, okay, bucket list, I did it. And then just like you said. And the other thing, too, is the World Series, I think, pretty much sets the standard for the schedule. And then everyone sort of builds their schedule around that. Right. I mean, they, they, they always come out with their schedule first, I think, because they do it early. And then the rest of the guys look at it and be, they're like, okay, well, one of them, what, Binions, I guess, like mimics, right? Doesn't, doesn't their tournament mimic it with a smaller buy-in? used to. I don't think it they still does. Okay, so, but, but I mean, that was sort of the way it used to go, is they would look at their tournament, know what they were coming out with, and then boom, everyone set up their structure and and their and their uh, schedule. And so it's a little easier for the World Series probably because they know that they're the big boy in town and they've done it from the end of May to the middle of July every year. So they know that's earmarked for them and you sort of have this skeleton that they go by and then they just change things off of players' comments and, and whatever, but but it is difficult to schedule. Again, 13,000 people, 41% down. Yeah, okay, but you're still, what, uh, 10,000 over what the biggest tournament of the year is going to be? You know what I mean, or whatever. It's crazy. You know, you might get five or 6,000 in the main event or something, but other than that, I mean you're going to get over 10,000 people more in that one tournament than any other tournament. So it's it's certainly uh, understandable, but it's not cause for alarm, that's for sure. Well, and I think the other thing that's good uh, for the series is that they are bringing uh, buy-ins down. So you have this one at 565, you know, that they have the PLO Giant, I think, like 365, the other Giant 365, you got the online. I mean, remember when we first went out years ago, we played – the cheapest buying was a thousand bucks. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of money for us back then. Still is a lot of horses. So um, I'm certainly not going to criticize them for for making a World Series bracelet um, more affordable for people that otherwise just said, "Hey, there's no way I can plunk down a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks uh, to take a shot at it, and or you know, risk a satellite to do it." You know, now it's into a price point where people can actually peel it off and say they played so if that means that because they they've added two or three or four events at that same price point to make the whole world series more accessible and so that means fewer people playing the classes that it's not a problem to me so i agree uh any updates the schedule and structures have been released for the 2018 any up world championship july 7th to the 29th at thunder valley casino resort near sacramento california 20 events more than 30 satellites one million dollars in guaranteed prize money and two chances to win your way on the cover of Annie Up Magazine. More info at AnnieUpMagazine.com slash Thunder Valley. Oops, I'm sorry. Let's correct that. AnnieUpMagazine.com slash World Championship. How's that? That's better. Nice. <laughs> Sounds better. Uh, also, the well is starting to run dry on Hand of the Week. Uh, listener Spotlight and call the floor submissions, too. Email us at podcast at com or post in the Annie Up Fans group on Facebook. Don't know where that is? Go on Facebook and search for Annie Up Fans. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we'll do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we'll send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. It's Don Riddle. He says, like many people, I discovered Texas Hold'em during the boom of the 2000s. 
I wonder why we don't say in the aughts. Remember, every yeah. once in a while you hear an old movie where the 1900s, they'll say aught five, aught six. We never, could have never caught on. And I actually remember this back in the 90s. Uh, J- John Madden actually uh, was, was trying to come up with what people were going to call it, and he actually suggested the aughts. Yeah, and they never really and did. John, John Madden couldn't get it. Uh, off the ground and no one could. So. And what really gets me mad, it really burns my toast, uh, like Fassa would say, <laughs> is, is they'll say 06. It's not an O, it's a number, it's a zero. That's right. <laughs> so say ought six at least. And I did a whole research on that odd thing. It was kind of interesting with that. All right, so anyway, <laughs> let's go back to Don. He says, I uh, personify the term recreational player. I'm a working class family man in my mid 40s who has mostly stuck to free bar leagues with an occasional trip to the casino for low buy in tournaments. I live in Pennsylvania, and at first was excited about the passage of online gaming here, but now I wonder, has online poker, even at micro and low stakes, passed someone like me by? I've read about concepts like game theory, optimal, and exploitive play, and my eyes roll back in my head. I think I can learn these things, but who has time for that? Given all that, if I play online now, will I just be the old man yelling at the kids to get off my lawn with their fancy solver software all while throwing my money at them <laughs> uh all right so uh i i, I told don I, I appreciate his concern you know it is you, you do hear all these concepts so it, it, let's back up so online poker was great because it it shortened the uh, education process for a lot of players right i mean that's why you see all these young guns now because as doyle says they're playing more hands in a week than he's played in his entire life right yeah yeah so, so it's good for that. The bad is that unless you have that time to commit to that and then you do understand all these concepts and have all this software and stuff to help you out, um, you are at a disadvantage. So, um, But all that being said, uh, Don here is, you know, he's the, the, the working class family man, recreational player. Uh, I don't see him buying into $1,000 uh, tournaments online um, or high stakes <laughs> nosebleed games, right? And so if he's worried about people really exploiting that, I don't think there's a lot of people doing that at the $5 multi-table online buy-in level. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I think those those the smaller stakes are still um, less affected by all that uh, technology and experience. Um, and then beyond that, I, I reminded him what a lot of our fans love about online poker is that it's an opportunity to try new games out at a very small price point. So, you know, if you want to learn Omaha um, and you're tired of playing on free sites, you know, you budget maybe 100 bucks and play $25 tournaments. And then now all of a sudden you've learned to play Omaha and at a small, um, small price. So I think there's a lot of advantages still uh, for playing online poker uh, for someone like Don, um, even if there are some negatives. 20 pause $5 tournaments. <laughs> Not $25 tournaments, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if you don't pause it there, it sounds like you're on to play four tournaments for 25 bucks each, <laughs> and it's like you're not going to learn anything there. You know? um, a couple of things, Don. One, if you want to get into the Poker Hall of Fame, uh, then you're going to have to play high buy-ins. But... Since uh, you're not going to get into the Hall of Fame, uh, Scott is correct. The low buy-in stuff, I'm going to coin a phrase here. Scott likes to come up with these terms every once in a while. Here's mine. Thoughtful ABC poker. ABC poker generally means you just play by the book. Thoughtful ABC means, okay, you're still going to play by the book, but you're going to study these people carefully, and you're going to actually 
convert your game to a little more advanced than ABC, but you're still basically following ABC poker. I think the fact that you listen to our show and you're writing in and you're concerned about this means that you are capable of playing thoughtful ABC poker rather easily. And if you do this at the low stakes, you buy in for the one cent, two cent, or whatever, you will beat those games. Those, If you just want to get entertained and you want to make a little bit of money or whatever, playing low buying, whether it's tournament or cash, I think you're going to be just fine. A, a recreational player like you can totally handle the online. It's not going to be some – some guy's not going to be using this huge software for the one cent, two cent stud eight game when you want to learn right. how to play it. You know what I mean? It's not going to happen. And there might not even be software for that. I don't even know. But uh, really, thoughtful ABC, and you'll be fine. I think it's not passing you by at all. Excellent. You know, well, one more thing too. If you remember, um, Phil Ivey once gave a suggestion. I don't. Know, I think it was in an interview on TV, actually. But it may have been. I may have read it. Somebody said to him, "You know, how do I get better? You know, how do I, how do I get better at playing these levels and and and, and whatever?" And he said, "Buy in for ten dollars cash at a cash game." you know, at a one cent, two cent, or something like that, and try to win every hand. Hmm. And you're not going to win every hand, obviously, but if you're going in there thinking, hey, it's only 10 bucks, let me really work at how it, how you can beat this game and how I can win every hand. You know, that's a, a real interesting way of looking at it. If, if you say to yourself, what can I do to get this guy to fold? Or what can I do to get this person to to?" put all the chips in the middle you know there there there's a that's the thoughtful part of it because if you start thinking too much you know these people aren't they're playing one cent two cent they're not there to you know they're shoving when they get a flush draw or whatever um so i I like that idea i like the idea of going in and saying hey it's only 10 bucks let me do whatever i can to really win every hand and then at at that point you'll start to learn how these games really work and then you'll beat them comfortably but i don't think i have any problem i don't think online's passed you by at, at least at that level no, I don't think so. Good luck, man. Let us know how it goes. <laughs> Next email is like, I'm broke. I'm out of the house. Thanks, uh, guys. Told him 10 bucks. If he gets broke from 10 bucks, <laughs> he shouldn't be playing online poker. <laughs> Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast.antiupmagazine.com and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Annie Poker Cruises, available at ClassicPlayingCards.com. You know, I think I'm just going to say email us, and we'll... We say podcast, and they know what the address is. They say it 20 times a show. <laughs> I'm just going to say email us after I've already said it once. That's it. I'm doing it. Uh, it's all repetition, man. Executive decision. Comes from Dave Beeson. He says, we're in a self-dealt home game playing 1-1 Pot Limit Omaha 8. Horrible game. <clears throat> <laughs> it's very friendly, uh, a fairly friendly group uh, who play with each other a lot and over a long time. The cards are dealt out. There are six limpers and is checked all the way down to the river. Wow. I was the dealer and picked up the burn cards, set them on top of the stub, and set the deck next to the player on my left who would be shuffling next. Nobody bets on the river. Action was closed. And that's when I noticed that I didn't pick up the burn cards, but my f- my hand instead, which is now on top of the stub, unmolested. I knew I had two pair, and as players were showing their cards, I counted off the top four cards of the stub, which should be my cards face down in front of me. 
I announced to the table what had happened and called out my exact four cards and suits before exposing them. It turns out that somebody had rivered a flush, so my two pair weren't good. If anyone had said something, I definitely would have left my car, let my cards die in the muck, but is the stub technically part of the muck? My cards were easily retrievable, being the top four cards on the stub. Can I go get them? Well, Dave, you did, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> May I, I think. Is what <laughs> May I go get them? Uh, no, so we, we, we don't tend to send uh, these kind of home game uh, questions to Elliot uh, because, you know, in a real casino, the dealer's not playing. So this would never happen. So um, so really, I think it comes down to what your home game vibe is. Um, I, I, I like the fact that he said, uh, if anyone said anything, I, I wouldn't protest and I would, you know, deal with the, my mistake. Um, so that's probably the best way to handle it. Now, if he did pull the cards off and he did win the hand and no one said anything, is it still all right? I think you still need to have a discussion, right? Because uh, you definitely don't want uh, this to be one of those things that uh, makes the game break up, right? So, right. you know, when you have these kind of issues and they're wrong, I mean, it's good. Like, again, it's good that he said that he wasn't going to push the issue. But uh, I think you need to have a discussion so the next time it comes up, everybody knows, hey, going forward, um, this is what we ruled that time. And that's what we'll rule going forward. Um, obviously, the best thing to do is to make sure you don't make that same mistake but this is what happens in self-deal games and that's one of the problems with self-deal games you know you're in your home game playing for you know one skittle two skittle you can't afford to hire a professional dealer to come deal for you so um that's going to be what happens um you know i i think i generally in, in our games i i like to just tell the dealers whether it's me or anybody else that when you're dealing it's a little tougher you're going to have to pay attention to both your hand and the and the stub and the dealing and that means you're probably going to make a mistake and if you make a mistake you made a mistake um not trying to be hard about it but um to me that's the best thing going forward but every home game is different so whatever they decide on but as long as everybody decides on it is the most important thing i think yeah some home games make the dealer sit out the hand that they're dealing just sometimes they do that especially if it's a bigger game like nine or ten handed then you're not missing that many hands you're missing one every ten um but you know that seems like an extreme thing to do to try to correct this just be more careful that's all oh, i actually like that but you're right it has to be i mean if you're playing six-handed it, it doesn't do any good i mean it's not good for the game for the dealer to sit out but but i think that's a good thing that people should evenly should at least discuss with their home game because that way because um, again, the dealer is the most important part in the game at this point. Making sure the pot's right, making sure the cards get right. So you got a lot going on, and then for you to also have to be playing your optimal poker at the same time is difficult to do. So, you know, you're right. If you have eight or nine people in the hand, I don't think there's anything wrong with the dealer sitting out and and actually being the employee for your game on that hand. Yeah. Uh, and then then you then you absolutely vote all, all this stuff, and then now. And then again, that also gives you a, an impartial uh, decider. You actually have a floor now, right? Because, you know, if the other scenario, all six of you, like in this case, all six people who are held, everybody in the hand, uh, everybody at the table was in this hand. So yeah. everybody had a vested interest somehow in this. Whereas if you had the dealer set out, then at least you have one person that's not involved in the pot that can, you know, make a somewhat independent arbiter of a decision. So. It's not a bad thing for you to consider if you've got a, a decent amount of people in your home game. Yeah, and we do it when it's draw games, too. Somebody sits out because not enough cards. So it's not like it's unprecedented within the home game itself. So, you know, it, just get used to it and do it. But, uh, hey, you know what? We're going to learn what O'Malley's move was. We're going to refresh our memories with part one and then see you on the other side.
another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're playing a garden variety, $1, $2, No Limit Hold'em casino cash game at our regular casino. It's fairly early in the night. We bought in for $2.50 and currently sit with around $2.25. The blinds post, and we're under the gun with the Queen of Hearts, Queen of Clubs. Our standard raise from under the gun in a 1-2 cash game is typically $15, and we don't stray from that here. We raise to 15 It's folded around to the cutoff, who calls relatively quickly. He started the hand with 375 and in the short time we've been there, we've noticed his stack has fluctuated a bit, the lowest point being around 200 the highest at what it is now. He bets when he has it, but also knows when to slow down and play cautiously. He's loose and is hard to get off hands. Loves draws and any two face cards. However, we have seen him flip over one monster hand that got him a huge pot. He also plays position well and will usually try to take it away on one street or another, but he rarely double or triple barrel bets. We are heads up with about $30 in the pot and the flop is the king of hearts, four of spades, four of diamonds. This is a pretty safe flop. You can't always be concerned about an overcard to your pair. We put out a little C-bet of $20, and he calls after little thought. With about $70 in the pot, the turn is the nine of clubs. We check, and our opponent leads out for $35. So, it's back to us. Is he playing position, or are we beat? What's the move? Okay, I'm a little confused as to why we did, why we checked here, giving our opponent a chance to put us in this quandary. Uh, if we had bet and were raised, we'd know more. And now we don't know whether he's trying to take control of his hand or whether he has a king or a, uh, or a four. Uh, I think we should raise here to get our answer, uh, but I would have rather bet out in the first place. No way, I'm raising. No way. <laughs> At most, I'm calling and hoping for a cheap showdown. A big king might have re-raised preflop, so a small king maybe, some sort of suited king or... Um, we likely are losing whatever we put in the middle, especially to a naked four, I mean, a suited ace, you know, four. So I don't want to put more in than I have to, so I'm calling and hoping for a check on the river. Here we go, part two. Hello again. If we call here, this guy is not betting again on the river. So this is the last amount we will be on the hook for. Unless he has a monster, which isn't likely. He probably has something like king-queen or king-jack. Ace-king would have made itself known before now. This could also be something like jacks or tens. Could also be eights through fives. We are ahead of his range, so even though it feels like a weak to middling king, I think there's a chance we're ahead and an almost certainty he'll check behind on the river if we miss our queen. I think a raise is going to get called, so that would be ill-advised. We call. The river is the ten of clubs, and just as we suspect, it goes check-check. We table our queens, and our opponent shows king-jack. Nice hand, sir. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, Sometimes, even though you know, you just have to see it. I hope to see you on the felt. Uh, we don't have to see it. <laughs> uh, I think O'Malley was a little too optimistic on our opponent's range here. Uh, what, what he turned over was one of the most likely hands, uh, and it cost us money because we played this hand too passively, I think. Uh, does King Jack qualify the smallish king? It should. Uh, not in most people's mind, but it should. Uh, it's, it's kind of smallish. It's kind of the rookie hand, Kojak. Uh, uh, and there was a check on the river, so I'm happy with my analysis, but sad we lost more money. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. That's podcast at antiupmagazine.com. <laughs> If you haven't heard earlier on the show, podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't wanted something from us in the past year, we'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Train, the world's number one poker training site. And I'm just waiting for your jokes now. Our poor listener who took the time to write us a letter, wanted our insight, is now going to be made fun of you by you because of his name. This week's Hand of the Week comes from Drew Carey. You know, you have to admit, though, by sending it in and getting that membership, I mean, that's the price is right on that, isn't it? I mean, seriously. Really, I don't have any other jokes about Drew Carey. Other than that, you know, he's a national treasure. I was just going to say Cleveland Rocks, but that was, yeah, you know, Yeah, he's maybe. a national treasure. Let's, let's leave him alone and move on. But I, I really thought maybe it was a joke. And then I thought, maybe it's the real Drew Carey. I don't know. And, you know, who knows? Well, I know. It's from McHenry, Illinois. So I don't know where the real Drew Carey lives. Uh, not, not Cleveland Rocks. So that's Ohio. So, yeah. I don't yeah. know. But it's close. They're close. They're near each other. Could be him. He could have moved after he got all that big, you know, Price is Right money. But no, I'm not making any more jokes about Drew Carey. Oh, man. All right. Uh, first off, here's what, uh, what Drew had to say. First off, love the show. Well, he used to love the show until we just made fun of him. <laughs> Uh, I've been listening for a few years, but this is my first email. Uh, a little background on myself. I enjoy thinking about poker, listening to the show, reading strategy articles, etc. It's hard for me to find the time or the $200 sometimes to actually play a lot. I finally got a night to head to the local casino to play some 1-2 No Limit Hold'em. This hand occurs near the end of my night. I'd been playing for about three and a half hours and have uh, what I like to have. What I, like, <laughs> I have what I like to think is a tight, aggressive image, often folding for an orbit or two straight but betting strong when I had something. Uh, nothing fancy, just trying to play ABC since it had been a while. I'm in the cutoff uh, with about $178 on my $200 starting stack, and I had the villain co- covered. Uh, under the gun, who is the villain in his hand, straddles to $5. He says, this room allows under the gun straddles from this position only. Uh, there's one call in front of me from middle position, and I have six of spades, five of spades. And before he answers, he says, a uh, quick note, straddles have been both raised to 15 to $20 to this table, um, and flops had been seen for $5 off. Well, first of all, doesn't he know that when he sends in his first e- email, it has to be that he's built his stack up to something he can actually be down? <laughs> These that rookies. Goes, that oh. goes against all of our practices on this show. <laughs> I, I don't know how I can even handle this hand now. Um, all right, so here's the deal. Since we've got both people going crazy raising the straddle and also just wrapping the, their knuckles and, you know, I don't really know how to play, but I do know that I hate being out of position with suited connectors, and I hate knowing that if I throw five bucks out there, it could very easily be gobbled up into more money and that I'm going to have to put more money out, and I don't want to play five, six for a raise at all unless maybe I'm in position on the button and I'm playing the people and not the cards. But in this case, I don't know. I'm I'm probably just throwing five, six away. Unless I'm feeling really good about the way I'm playing. I've got sort of a peg on all these people and I'm having fun. And it doesn't really matter what my cards are. Other than that, you know, I'm in what middle position you said. So, you know, there's people behind me who can make it more. And then who knows the straddle's going to do. And I've just wasted five bucks. Or the real problem is going to be, when the guy makes it just a little bit more, and then you feel obligated to call, now you're in for like 15 or so, or whatever, and then you're playing 6-5 out of position against people. I just, I, I would just assume fold it, to be honest with you. But in this case, he's not folding it, so if I'm going to play it, 
uh, I'm probably just going to call. I, you know, I like to see what these straddlers are going to do, and then if they make a big raise, sometimes I don't believe them, and I'll re-raise them with nothing just because I think they're full of it and they're just doing what they think they have to do as a straddler. Um, so I don't know. But if I'm going to play this hand, I'll probably just call and hope I see a cheap slot with a connector. Um, well, I always advocate to uh, kind of beginning players or players getting uh, ready to move to that next stage um, that suited connectors are a good way of getting out of your comfort zone because, you know, they're hands that can flop big. So I, I don't necessarily discourage the fold here, but there's some things working against us here. Um, one, there's a straddle on. Um, you know, it, it, he says it's it, it's either going to be raised to fifteen to twenty bucks, or it's going to be checked. So we don't know. I don't want to put twenty bucks in on this hand. Um, so I would rather get a little frisky when there's not a straddle on. So. Um, now he also said he has what he believes is the tight aggressive image folding, uh, but betting strong when he had something. So there's something to be said about playing a hand like this when you have that image, because now you can represent a bigger hand. Plus you have the the insurance policy of being able to flop the straight or flush, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the but but to really sell that, you can't just call here. You have to raise. So if you raise and then the um, Straddler actually has a real hand or wants to get frisky. He's going to re-raise. Now you're getting a lot of money in here. And now you've got to have the stones to actually, you know, carry that bluff through this whole hand if you don't get lucky on the flop, right? So um, I, all those things add up to me just wanting to fold here. So um, that's probably what I would do. Um, I'm sure that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> but, um, but but I'm not opposed to, to playing this hand, even in middle position, occasionally just to go against the type. But did you say stones? Yes, the okay. stones. Just want to make sure you said stones. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> all right, so what are you doing? I'm 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 gonna call. What are I'm you doing? Fold. You're gonna fold. We're all gonna fold except yeah. for the her heroes. Yeah, so. I was gonna fold, but since he's playing it, if I'm gonna play it, I'm gonna probably just call. So I folded in my mind, but I'm calling in the hand. How's that sound? All right, our hero calls. Uh, so does the button small blind? Uh, button small blind both called the big blind folds. And the under-the-gun straddler raises to 20. Uh, the one player in between us folds, and it's back to us now. So it's basically heads up? Uh, well, they have the small blind behind us. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Oh, oh, we have the button and the small blind. Oh, yeah, hand. I'm folding. I wasted five bucks. Move on. Yeah, see, now the, now the hand gets too much too expensive for this. Um, you know, if we if I knew both the button and the small blind were going to call, then maybe this is the time to take a flyer, but then I'm really going to have to hope for this flop because, you know, I'm going to have to really play my best poker to win this if I, if I don't hit my flop. So, I mean, at that point, uh, but we, we can't count on those other two calling. Uh, maybe somebody's lying in the weeds and is going to raise again, and now, now we've definitely wasted 20 bucks. so... I was going to fold before. I'm definitely going to fold now. So. That's the thing right there, Scott. That, that What I'm afraid of is all the people did, hey, let's limp till the straddler does his move when I've got aces or kings behind me. Right. And then when it gets back to me, and then I'll – so now if you just call the 20, now you're going to have the button saying, ha-ha, I got aces. I'm making an 80, and I just stole all your money for nothing. You know what I mean? So there's always that. That's why you never want to be in the middle of a straddler versus people behind you who could be just playing that rule of thumb, which is limp – until the traveler makes a stupid move and then shove or whatever. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely folding now. All right. Um, our hero decides to call. Got to make this hand interesting, right? Yeah. Um, so does a button, and the small blind calls all in. It was uh, He was short-stacked. So 
Um, so that's what four of us now. Uh, three still um, with action. Flop comes the tray of spades, four of clubs, six of clubs. That's a pretty good flop. And let's see, uh, before he gets to us, he says, uh, background on the villain, uh, he's been in a lot of pots mixing it up. He rarely folds to see bets, it seems. Uh, I'd put him somewhere between a lag and a calling station, but one of the better players at the table. He'd prefer to call bets instead of raising them, uh, but if nobody's betting, he's happy to do the betting himself. And he leads out for $25. Um, and uh, before it, it's on us, but before we can act, uh, the button folds out of turn. Oh. He says, not sure what effect this has on the hand, but it irked me, and it showed. So now your head's up? Is that right? Uh, no. Well, yeah. A heads up for the action going. Small blind is obviously all in. So Right, right. So, but, I mean, you're basically, that's all dead. That money's, yes. yeah. Um, well, I guess if I get the feeling that this guy is just doing this because of whatever, I'm going to raise and take that dead money. Um. I don't know. What do you? What do you? Do you think that's something that you would do there? Um. All right. Well, first I got to figure out. Let's see. I mean, we we've got top pair, obviously crappy kicker, um, and a straight draw, um, and backdoor uh, spades. So this is not a terrible flop for us, and it's hard for me to imagine that uh, it hit uh, the villain here. So I think it's a board that the villain would bet out on with a lot of hands. So. Um, I think I might just call here for a little misdirection and and see what happens on the on the turn. Now, if our card like the the deuce comes now, now we, we might kill some action. Um, but but I guess that's fine. Um, I'd rather not get in a raising war right now, even though I do think we're ahead. So I mean, I guess I could support either one, but I, I think from a value standpoint, I'd rather call here and then see what the, the villain does on the turn. Well, I think that, uh, it, it, being my conviction, I think, if I think I know I'm ahead, but this guy could easily catch me on the next card, or that he could have two clubs and we have to protect the hand, it, it depends on the feeling. You know, I, again, he's a straddler, so we don't really know what kind of hand he could have. I don't know if a, I think a raise might help us narrow it, because he's a straddler. Whereas if he, if we just call, then you still, you, you have got no information, and you were just a little while ago on O'Malley's move talking about why didn't we raise, or we should have raised exactly. it. You know, when a guy bet a board that now we've got a board that I know we're we're hitting it, but it's still just sixes and a straight draw. You know what I mean? It's still just sixes. So maybe well, I, I think make the a one difference I between the two. I think that's a good point you brought up that I said it before. I think the one difference is that we we didn't have a great hand in O'Malley. You know, we had uh, pocket queens, but there's a king out there. There are two fours on the board. There's a lot of danger for us here. We actually have top hair, which is probably good right now. If not, our straight draw is probably good if it hits. Um, and if we really get in trouble, we, we fall back on spades maybe. So um, here I'm trying to get some value out of this, um, whereas on the other hand, I, I, I would want to represent a better, better hand than we have. Um, so, again, I, I, have no, I have no problem raising here, um, but I just think from a value standpoint, we'll get more value out of this hand if we – just call and, and let him take another stab. And if we just call here and he checks on the turn, then we have to bet at that point and it's probably over. So, you know, but, you know, I would rather see him take another uh, stab at this. But you're also right. If he has over cards, um, we don't know what card's going to come here on the turn that's not going to be, that's going to be bad for us, right? We're always going to have to guess. Yep, because it's a straddler and there's no way of narrowing his range without 
getting them to commit more money to it, you know, then you can say, okay, what what kind of hand would call my raise to seventy five here, you know? So I don't know. I I feel like I just feel like we're we're nowhere in this hand except we have a pair of sixes. A straggler could raise with a pair of sevens free flop. You could raise anything better than a pair of sevens. So I want to know where we are. I think I really feel like sometimes a raise in this situation will. Hey, if he folds, you you it's not a bad outcome. You've taken off. The, basically the most you're going to get out of this guy anyway because he folded that raise and if he went crazy and shoved on you then okay so you put some more money than you needed to but now you've got that dead money in from the other all-in raise and you've got his 25 out there on top of it you know making a raise here for information isn't isn't a bad thing i know that our uh our good friend used to say lee child's be like "Uh," but to me i think raising here is is a decent i also forgot there's two clubs out there too so yeah there's probably lots of reasons to raise here so yeah I'm probably 75% raise, 25% call at this point. So. Interesting. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, our hero says, with top pair and an open ender, I feel like I have the best hand. Uh, sure, the straddling villain could have woke up with a big pair, but somehow I doubt it. Ace two for a wheel draw, maybe. Clubs are always possible. I make it $50 to go. And he says, in hindsight, maybe, probably way too late considering the pot size. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, there you go. I mean, because now you're only min-raising. So raising, yeah, yeah. So yeah. this guy had something that he, you know, could possibly hit or in two overs or something, you know, for another twenty five with all that money out there, you're not really giving him the right, you know, uh price to fold. You're just saying, Okay, you know what, twenty five more is nothing and maybe I'll hit my two overs or maybe I, maybe he's got the clubs, you know, who knows? So I just don't feel like he made enough, and he agrees. So, yeah, I would have made it like 75. If I was going to raise, I was going to – you have to make it a raise. True. Right. All right. uh, The villain calls quickly, he says. Hmm. Uh, The turn is the five of clubs. So our board now is tray of spades, four of clubs, six of clubs, five of clubs. So we improve, but not the way we want to improve. And the villain goes all in for his remaining $62. And we have about 100 left. Ugh. Well, there's no more decision for him, so a $62 bluff is probably not happening. But if it is, he's probably semi-bluffing, um, you know, with or he could already have a straight. He could already yeah, have the flush. $62 is not a big bet either, given how much money's out there. So it's not like he's bluffing for 62 you know, and it's not like he can get more out of him. This really sucks. Um yeah, I have a feeling that he's we either beat or he's got a ton of outs. Um and he could be banking on the fact that you know, that one little sliver of hope is that he's pretending to have the deuce and he really doesn't or something like that, you know. I don't know. Uh Well, I don't put a um uh I don't put a, a hand that we can beat out of his range here. I, I think you're right though. It's you know, if he's thinking, uh, he knows that shoving here with $62 isn't enough to get us off of a made hand. So it's more more than likely he has something here. Um, he very well could have that club. Um, but, you know, hey, we, we got involved in this hand. Um, we got two pair now. So if he's got a flush, we've got boat outs. Um, if he has something weaker than that, then we probably haven't beat already. And if not, we, we still have the straight to fall back on. Um, I think this is one of those where I kind of like the insurance policy and, uh, I know the action's going to end and, um, I kind of want to see how this is going to play out. So, uh, I'm willing to put my 62 bucks in here. 
Okay, so there's there's the hundred from the last street in the pot. There's the raise to twenty preflop, and we had at least three or four callers to that. Right, three, three callers, and then the short stack was called ba- for basically less. right close to that. So eighty, so the hundred there, so two hundred in a pot basically. So sixty two to win two sixty two, and you have top two. So you have outs to a boat four. You have four deuces and four sevens to a chop if he doesn't have the spades uh, the, uh, the straight and then if he doesn't have clubs in his hand then those outs all remain so yeah maybe I mean you're not going to get forced to put any more money out there not that there's you don't have that much left anyway um, so maybe I do call it just sucks you know got top two which is kind of cool but he's probably got a club in his hand he may even have a pair that's over with a high club you know who knows yeah, no, that's that's a very realistic hand as well too. So nine nine, nine with nine of clubs, something like that. Who knows? Um, or he could have the ace of clubs in his hand. Uh, I guess I'm calling. I, I don't want to call, but I think you have to make these calls every once in a while. Because uh, if you don't make these calls ever, then then I think you're making a mistake. This might not be the right time to do it, but but I think this is a call that you need to, as a player, you need to be able to make from time to time and. Yeah. Everything adding up here, this is one of those times that that I would take the chance on it, and yeah. uh, and I, I feel pretty good about it too. I mean, I, I would not be surprised if he turns over a weaker hand, and maybe we have to fade another card on the river. But um, but so this is not a crying call for me. This is a I, I I think we have the better best hand, and if not, we have outs to whatever he has. So okay. Um. All right. Here says uh, my poker thoughts are that I have top two, and I have a hard time seeing him having a random seven in his hand, and I don't know if he just uh, jams there if he has any clubs. I have outs if he has the clubs, but I settled on being one high club or ace-deuce. I don't think he raises pre-flop with the low cards he'd need for a straight here. Maybe this is where I allowed some of my non-poker thoughts to aid my decision. I'd been saying for a few or- orbits, okay, this is my last orbit, going to see if I can win one more. And if I fold here, I'm stuck for 100 bucks, and it's getting late. This is most definitely a leak in my cash game as I near the end of a session. Regardless, I make what feels like a crying call, even though I think there's a strong possibility I'm still good. Uh, the river is the seven of clubs, ugh. So our final board is trade of spades, four of clubs, six of clubs, five of clubs, seven of clubs. So all the clovers. Oh. Um, something tells me this isn't just a chop. The villain turns over to the ace of diamonds, eight of clubs. And he calls the floors. He's hit the high hand for the day, beating the previous six high straight flush. However, both cards need to play to win this promotion, so he's stuck just raking in the pot. <laughs> Tough break for that guy. <laughs> uh, so he says, uh, so a few places I went wrong. I'm sure you can find more. Please do. Is playing suited connectors for decent-sized raise at this table, and then either not raising more on the flop or just calling. Folding seems too weak, and uh, letting it uh, just letting it go on the turn. Anyway, I'm not sure I even play this hand in my mind. If, if in my mind I had a few hours left in this session, which is, again, part of the problem, I get up on my remaining $36 and head home. Um, yeah, I think the raise gets him out. I don't know what he's doing with Ace-8 there. I mean, seriously, uh, when you make it, that's the thing. When you min-raised, you know, now he's like, all right, I can try to go runner-runner or hit, hit two of my overs. Um, it's remarkable that it was Ace-8 and the Ace wasn't the club. That's the thing. It would be different if it was, you know, the other way around. Then you're like, all right, I can see this guy kind of peeling one off, and then he gets the club draw, and now he's not going anywhere. And then he shoves there, too, with just the eight of clubs, hoping for the seven of clubs or any club at that point, but he can't know that he's high with eight. 
So, wow, that's that's bizarre. So you, you rewind it real quick. You know, the guys in the straddle with ace eight off, and he raises, which is what they do. Um, and you know, whatever we're stuck with this guy. But when that flop comes, if you and you were you were convinced that he just didn't have really good cards, you should have probably raised him. I mean, because now he gets there for a, a smaller raise him more. You get there for a small for the price that basically he dictated. Then you min raised it. You get this guy off his hand. Hindsight, um, which is what we're talking about. It's not we're not doing results oriented crap here. We're saying during the hand, hey, we we need some more answers here. This guy is just betting out because he's betting out. I don't believe it, and I don't want to give him a free chance to hit his clubs, which he ultimately did. He just had to go runner runner to do it. Yeah, um, I, I think that is the biggest mistake. Other than playing the six five, I would have just folded it anyway. Well, I will say, Drew, it just makes you feel better. I think you played his hand much better than your opponent did, and he just got lucky on the yeah. end there. Um, so, you know, yeah, you lost this hand, but if you're going to play this, uh, play a hand with this guy a hundred times, you're going to make a lot of money off of him. So. You know, don't don't beat yourself up too much about that. Um, and again, you know, when we're talking about results oriented, we're trying to figure out how we could have got him off this hand to win. But it, you know, we were ahead from the flop on. Um, now I don't know if we were the favorite on the end because of his flush outs or not. But um, hey, we probably were still right. Yeah, we probably still were. It was one card in the uh, So yeah, I mean, we we had the best hand all the time. He he gets the card that he needs on the river. Um, there's nothing more you could have done there. I mean, he shoved. I mean. If you want to say, hey, if I folded there, then I would have saved $62, but you would have folded the better hand. Um, so that's not good. So, you know, this this is the part where luck uh, plays his role in poker. So no matter how scopo you are, you can't control the cards that come. So um, I think you played this hand better than he did. Um, there could have been a couple of things you could have done differently. But really what we're talking about now is trying to get him off this hand. And I never wanted him off this hand. Uh, I, I always thought that we were ahead after the flop. So... Well, the problem here is twice during this hand, the price was right. <laughs> Early on, he made it 25. You only made it 50. The price was right for him to call. And then later on, he goes all in for just 62. For you, really, the price was right. If this guy had 500 in front of him and made it 200 to go at the end, you know, uh, shoved all of it, and you got to put in your entire whatever, you're like, mm, I'm probably folding. But the price was right twice drew we're sorry you should stick to plinko (laughs) i'm chris casenza and i'm scott log we'll see you at the table anti-up is a production of antiupmagazine.com contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344 if you'd like to advertise Send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.